Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich and making his triumphant return to the show. It's our uh, cool uncle, Jeff Merrick. Jeff, what's going on, man? I promise not to host. 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 I promise not to step all over your podcast here. I promise to stay in my own lane, uh, treat the psych table hockey, and uh, and and stay in the same side that I, that I belong in. I will not host this podcast, unlike the last few that I've tried to hijack. Yeah. Hi, Dimitri. I mean, you always, you always say that, and then it, like <laughs> generally like 12, 15 minutes in, it just kind of devolves into uh, It's not going to happen today, but The Jeff Merrick show. Um, I'm going to be a good boy. I'm going to be a good boy. Excellent. No, no, I'm, I'm, it's all in good fun, man. I, it actually makes life easier for me. I can just kind of hang out and just check out what's going on, on Twitter and just let you just give the floor to you and you just just go after whatever you, you feel like talking about. Uh, people are done with my act by now. Yeah. It's like, all right, what little does he have left to say? Just get it out so we can move on with our lives. Um, let's uh, speaking of moving on with our lives, let's 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 get into uh, what we discussed we we're going to do on today's show, which is. Uh, yeah. I, we did this last year and people seem to like it, so we'll do it again. It's the, uh, it's the Game Center Live rankings, the watchability rankings. So we're going to go 30, yeah. 30 to 1 and we're yep. going to rank basically, it's, it's, it's a subjective exercise, right? Like, listen, different people are looking for different things and you can quibble with, you know, certain rankings. So I, we'll probably kind of wind up tiering teams as opposed to going like, well, this team's definitely the 17th most exciting team. We'll kind of go like, <laughs> these few teams are kind of here and then it's, you know, whatever you're looking for, maybe you, you pick one over the other, but I feel like, um, it's kind of going to be a fun exercise to see where we differ and where we agree. Yeah, this was one of my favorite PDO casts from last year when you and Travis did it. I, I loved it. I remember specifically, it was almost like a JFK moment for me. So I was driving in, listening to your podcast um, on uh, on my iPod, and I remember I was on my way in to do a shift with Steve Coolius at SiriusXM on NHL Network Radio. And, and here's the ultimate compliment that anyone can pay anyone in our industry when it comes to audio. I got to the parking lot, I parked my car, and I stayed in my car until the podcast was done. Mm. How about that for respect? That's, that's how much I, cool. I liked you and Travis last year. So so this is a high bar that's been set for me today. You know, was, when you when you texted me or, or DM me like this is what you wanted to do on the podcast today, I'm like, oh shit. Like this is the the bar's been set pretty high by you and Travis last year. So I started yesterday, scratched them all out, and then at the gym today I was like having a little notepad. So, you know, uh in, in between sets I was like jotting things down, like no, no, scratch 
them all out, and then I came home and started again from scratch at noon Eastern today. So hopefully I've got my 30 in the order that I want, but having said that, the minute we go off the air, I want to change them all. So <laughs> let's, see how it, let's see how it ends up, Dimitri. I think, I think you're pretty equipped for it, man. I think you, you watch as much hockey as anyone out there, so I think you're ready for it. Mm. But the question that I have is, Sort of so for watching, let's 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 set the parameters here. Okay. okay, so what would you? I'm hosting again. The definition <laughs> then of watchability, because I think that everybody watches for different reasons. Like some teams, I'll watch just for one guy, mm-hmm. and some guys, I'll just want to watch a couple of games for one guy. St. Louis Blues, hello Neil Yakupov. Right. Or is it that you want to watch this team because stylistically you like the way this team plays? Because to be honest with you, Dimitri, when I look at my list. I've sort of filled it out using a number of different definitions. Some teams I just want to watch because of a couple of different players. Some guys I want to watch stylistically. Some I'll have a lot of questions about. And others I just want to see how much of a train wreck it's going to become. I think I think, I think think that's right. I think it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, just because I, I think star power in this league is very important, right? Like let's say a team will get into the Ottawa Senators, for example, but I have them higher on my list than I probably should just because Eric Carlson basically plays half the game and when he's out there he's doing something exciting that's worth watching so that bumps them up the list without him they would very realistically be like the 30th ranked team on my list so so I think star power is very important but at the same time you know it's it's fun when when you have a, a good system in place if a team plays up like a high tempo game or if they constantly get into these five four games where they're trading chances or it, it, it's a little bit of everything so I think it's that's what makes it subjective but I think that's what also makes it fun okay place. okay let's do it let's okay. do it so I uh, let, let, let's start off with the bottom line we'll, we'll kind of start at thirty and we'll go up to one and I think for me uh, the thirtieth ranked team was a pretty easy one and, and it's the Vancouver Canucks you want to say uh, I was going to say you want to say it at the same time I think that might be the only consensus we have Vancouver yes. Canucks. Which is, which, is, uh, which is a bummer because I, I think yeah. that if the team had done a better job of assembling young talent around the Sedins, they could be much higher up this list because the Sedins, as we saw in the World Cup, when, when they get that cycle game going behind the net, they, they, they still have it. And it's still kind of if you squint hard enough, it, it, it looks like the old guys we saw back in, in 2010, 2011. But yeah. around them, there's just whenever they're not on the ice, I could basically just flip the channel and come back on a few minutes later. I'm with you about that, too, because... It, it's unfortunate that there's a team that has these two players on it whose brain is symbiote, who are two of the more interesting players we've ever seen in the history of the game, and the watchability ranking for the team is so low. When you consider that these two players fly in the face of conventional hockey thought, okay? Mm-hmm. Like the game now is north south, you know, fast to the net, you know, throw the puck on net and then you know, hope for a rebound and bang it in like your sticks of pool cue. That's sort of the way the game is is played right now. But I can't think of a combination who over the course of their career have consistently played more east west while the game has gone north south. And for that reason I, I'm with you. It's a shame that this team can't be better because I would like nothing more than to watch a competitive Vancouver Canucks team featuring these two guys who when I watch them play I think back to 80s hockey. Mm-hmm. It's not that fast. It's wildly creative, and it's going across the ice, not up and down the ice. 
Yeah, no, they really are wizards out there. But I mean, I've been beating this drum a lot for the past year or so. And it's that it, this is what happens when you kind of go for that band-aid, band-aid fix approach rather than kind of committing fully to, to one thing or another. They, the Jim Benning and Trevor Linden have, have brought in these older guys to try and kind of keep the Canucks at least relatively competitive while the Sedins are still good. And it, it just hasn't worked out. And as a result, for a team that hasn't really done a lot of winning the past few years, they don't yeah. have as much young but, talent as you'd think they should have by now. But I, I don't know that I rest that solely at the feet of Benning and Linden, though. I mean, that's still, you know, that's still the fumes of the Gillis operation where, you know, you could have made the point between, you know, the drafting, which was which was terrible, the development, the free agent signings. I mean, there are a lot of, you know, people that, and they ultimately did, you know, kind of deserve to lose their, their jobs because, you know, what do they say about missing a first-round draft pick? You set your franchise back two years. I mean, how many draft picks did they just flat out whiff on? Yeah. Right. There's there, there there's more than a couple. So I know it might not be the most popular thing to say uh, around the hipster crowd and certainly not in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. But I, I think I give Benning and Linden, I think, more slack than a lot of people mm-hmm. do. Cause I, I still think they're trying to trying to correct the wrongs of the previous previous regime. Yeah, and, and it's a reminder that it is kind of a, a tough business, right? Because uh, while the Canucks were competitive and were w- winning the President's Trophy and, and competing for the Stanley Cup, you know they they kept kind of siphoning off these these depth picks, second rounders and third rounders for rental guys at the deadline, and that's what good teams generally yeah. do to load up. And if you wind up, you know, making a long run or, or hopefully winning the Stanley Cup, then it doesn't really matter what happens in the next couple of years. But they fell just a little bit short, and then now they don't really have anything else to fall back on. So it's just kind of a, a, a tricky situation situation for them yeah that's a tough one too when you continue to do that and you get that close Mm -hmm. i mean it's almost to the point where you'd rather just uh middle of the pack would be worse but you'd rather you know what's what's the old saying you know if you're gonna miss heaven heaven don't miss it by two inches and i felt that you know a couple of different times 94 and then most recently i guess not recent anymore against the boston bruins back in uh, in 2011 um they missed heaven once again you know they missed heaven in 1970 at the draft i mean is there a franchise that's had just flat out worse luck than the Van- I know we're turning this into Vancouver Canucks lunch, but is there a, a, in the history of the organization that's just had more bad luck than the Vancouver Canucks? And it happened from the get-go when they thought they won the lottery and we're going to get the first overall pick, and it's Gilbert Perrault only to have the rug yanked under them, the football taken away by Lucy to find out that it was Dale Talon, not Gilbert Perrault they were getting in second overall. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough, man. man. I can't believe we just spent ten minutes on the Vancouver Canucks. This is going to be a very we got to go long quicker. Podcast. We got to go quicker. Yeah, here we go. Okay, I got Columbus Blue Jackets twenty nine. You go. You do. Okay, so I have I have the next three teams. It looks like on my list are sort of I'm going to lump them together. It's the Blue Jackets, the Sabers, and the Devils. And uh, the reason why I lump them together is because they you can kind of see the makings of something, especially up front. They have intriguing young forward talent that they've either, that they've either drafted in the past few years or in the Devils' case, uh, had fallen to their lap with the Taylor Hall trade. But it's just you, you look kind of at the surrounding parts around those those that outer shell and there just isn't a lot to like. And I think that th- these teams could potentially move up the list as the season goes along or if we do this again next year, they'll be a bit higher. But for now, I, I kind of had to suppress them down here. Yeah, I get Columbus at 29, Ottawa at 28. I know we differ on that. And who's not, what's not to like about Carlson? What's not to like about Mike Hoffman shooting in the offensive zone? Mm-hmm. My only question about Ottawa is, is you know, how is Guy Boucher going to coach this team? Yep. Are there going to be bungee cords on the hockey pants? And as soon as they get in the offensive zone, they get yanked back hard uh, to the neutral zone. We still don't know. Um, so f- for that reason, I've sort of I've got Ottawa at 28, 27. I have the New Jersey Devils as well. So we're sort of similar there. It's it's the, the Corey Schneider, uh, Taylor Hall 
football show mm-hmm. um, in a lot of ways. You know, I would I would love New Jersey to be a better team just because I really want to see Taylor Hall do well. You know, uh, considering everything that went down at Edmonton and how he was scapegoated, you know, it's, it's almost and you know, Greg Wyshynski will love to hear this. That trade kind of made me a New Jersey Devils fan in a lot of ways because you know me, Dimitri. I don't cheer for teams; I cheer for players. Yep. And man, would I love to see Taylor Hall do well here, just to show that you know you can win on a team. You know, much like in junior with the Spitfire, you can win on a team that has Taylor Hall on it. Well, I mean, at, at the very least, you look at. The, the New Jersey Devils kind of projected lineup for opening night and, and they have, uh, you're a big OHL guy. I mean, they have guys like Miles Wood and, and Blake Spears and, and, and Pablo yep. Zaka in the lineup. And at least for, for fans of that team or people that are going to be tuning in, they're, they're fresh faces with, with high upside that you can at least kind of see, see what's going on there as opposed to what we just discussed with the Canucks. You like Zaka, big, strong, skilled, and has a nasty edge, which is a delightful compliment to have as a centerman. So, I mean, no one expects, you know, no one expects like an 80 point season out of, out of, out of Zaka, but, you know, somewhere down the road, they're going to have themselves a legit, you know, big, strong, productive first line centerman, yeah. he suspects. And I think they're right. Yeah. And, and, and for the Blue Jackets quickly, who, who we had here, I, I think that you, there is a lot of talent up front and there's some intriguing names, but then, I just don't trust that John Tortorella is going to be putting these guys in a position to succeed necessarily. Curious to see what Wierenski does. I mean, he's excelled at every single level. That's one of the reasons that, you know, there there, there is something interesting there. Um, I've always been a big fan of, of Sam Gagne, and he's been a, a victim of circumstance in, in a lot of his situations. Um, and you wonder if this is another, you know, a shot at, you know, getting himself in a situation where he'll play uh, some decent minutes because there's still a very good and experienced hockey player at, you know, only the age of, tw- of 27. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, curious about uh, Oliver Bjorkstrand, yep. if he can continue that torrid pace, you know, that we've seen really pretty much his, his entire career going back to Portland as well. Um, you do see the beginnings of what will be a really nice blue line there. And I'm curious to see what they end up getting when they inevitably trade Jack Johnson. And maybe that's sooner than later. But between Wierenski and Jones and Murray, you're really starting to see them put some together. But they're still they're still not there yet. Yep. Having said that, they've got a goalie that can keep you in a lot of games when he's hot. And that's Bobrovsky. Yep. Yep, for sure. OK, so who do you have next on the list? I got uh, I got your Rangers, I've got your Los Angeles Kings, and I've got your Boston Bruins at twenty six, twenty five, and and twenty four. Um, the Rangers, you know, they they sort of mitigated it by some nice contract signings in the off season. Yep. Um, and I I do like this Abanajad trade. I, I think that you know long term that's a win for the New York Rangers. It seems as if they're they're going about rebuilding the team without burning the house all the way to the ground. Which you know when you have someone like Henrik Lundqvist, and listen, no, no one expects him to wave a no trade to really hasten this thing along that's the way you have to do it when you're the rangers um but this has been a team that i mean we've been waiting for them to fall off the cliff and you you, you think that specifically when you look at the back end this is probably the year that's going to happen yeah I, I, so i have an, a tier here with uh with the rangers the bruins as you mentioned and, and the detroit red wings and <coughs> the, the the thing that i i keep coming back to with these three teams is something a common thread up for this list for me or at least in terms of teams that i enjoy watching are teams that have defensemen that can move the puck and transition quickly because that that makes for exciting hockey for me when you get that transition game going and, and when it's free flowing from one zone to the other and, and these three teams are sorely lacking uh, in, in defensemen that kind of are those quote-unquote puck movers i just i just see very few options on all three of these teams and, and that kind of is why yeah. i have them down here even though they they very well all could be playoff teams or at least will be competitive and and will be better than some of the teams will have higher on the list i just don't think that mm. they're going to be necessarily that aesthetically pleasing 
I've got Detroit in my next tier, and we'll get to that in a second. But uh, when you're talking about a, a blue line that can't move the puck, holy smokes, the Boston Bruins. Well, I'm, I'm looking at this right now. Okay, is Rob is, is Rob O'Gara an actual person? Because he, I actually yeah. had to Google him. <laughs> I, I wasn't sure. Yeah, he's playing on the team, but he made him and Brandon Carlo. Yeah. And I think Carlo's playing with Char, if I'm not mistaken, as well. Mm-hmm. The old Tri-City American, big, tall, U.S.-born, six-foot-five, uh, 210-pounder. Yeah, th- this is a... Um, it's funny because when you when you read all the clippings from uh, from Claude Julian, it's all about you know turn. It's all the stereotypes you want to hear about a defenseman in 2016. The puck goes in, the puck goes out. You know, retrieve pucks and get him out of the zone as fast as possible. I just don't see how you can do that with that blue line. You know, um, we, I think we're all on the same page about you know how great Bergeron, although he won't start the play in the opening uh, night game. Yep. Bergeron and, and Brad Marchand that line with David Pasternak that Ooh, should be nice. Be fun. Yep. Yeah, and you know David Krejci is not the the fastest guy uh, in the game, but he's you know wildly creative. Uh, he'll play with David Backus again, not the fastest, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. You can still live in the vacuum of the bullet, and uh, and Ryan Spooner. So so top six is is an interesting combination of players, but. Who's going to get them the puck? Yep. And you, I know, mean, I know, and you look at I the Bergeron can go back and get it himself. I mean, you're going to need some help down the road. Well, I mean, you look at the the bottom six up front, and it's honestly like it, it's tough. It's it's a lot of guys that I, I actually had to Google. And I mean, I watch a lot of hockey, and I, I follow this stuff very closely. And it's like Danton Heinen, Austin Sarnik. Like these are these are guys that yeah. I definitely wouldn't call household names. That's for sure. No, and you, you can you can tell specifically what they've tried to do in the past couple of years, and that's get uh, a little bit faster. You know, you bring in a kid like Zach Sinition, you draft him a little bit high. Mm-hmm. But you, what you've really tried to do if you're the Boston Bruins is you say to yourself, our defense is getting old, our defense is slow, and you know that's why you go out and you draft you know Jakob Zborl. That's why you draft Lozon. That's why you drafted Carlo. That's why you go out and get Charlie McAvoy. So you can see that you know they clearly recognize there is a problem with the back end in the future. Uh, the problem is. Is they probably recognized it a few years too late, mm-hmm. and it's going to take a few years before these guys hit as legit, legit NHLers. Yeah, and I, I think it's sometimes easy for us to lose track of how good Tuukka Rask is, for example. It kind of gets swept under the rug, but he, he's he's totally. still he's still amazing. But the, the the thing that would worry me as a Bruins fan is. It, they relied on Zdeno Chara a lot last year. I think people don't necessarily realize how much he was playing. And yeah. we saw in the World Cup, I don't know if that was just, you know, rust and, he, and he's going to he's gonna work it out or, or what, but he was really struggling it's, with the speed of the game. And, and that would be a red flag for me. It's been the last two years. Yeah. And, you know, now you're getting, it's, it's, you know, you feel awful saying this about Chara, who's been so good for so long. I mean, you remember that era where, I mean, you're an analytics guy. I mean, what were the numbers when Chara and Bergeron were on the ice together? Yeah, I think it was 2012-13, the the lockout sort of season. They were on the ice for one five-on-five goal against all year, which was insane. It was spectacular. It was like like record-setting in in the NHL. But, I mean, Chara right now, if you just want to take a hard, cynical look at his play on the ice, he's got a long stick. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, they're, really, because, you know, the, the turning is, he's never been the quickest turner in the, and the, the game is getting faster and, and he's not getting any fat. Like, it, it's awkward to watch and it's painful at times. You know, you, you wonder if, you know, if Boston could make a move, would they look at unloading Zidane Chara? Mm-hmm. And I know, I, I can tell you for a fact, it has been discussed. Obviously, it didn't go anywhere um, to any fruition, but I, I know that internally, that's that's something that, I mean, everything gets talked about, but I'm, I'm sure they've had that conversation. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's tough. You, you see this summer, for example, they, they throw a lot of money in term at a guy like David Backus, which <clears throat> indicates a pretty kind of clear mindset that they're trying to win now. Otherwise, you don't necessarily make a move like that. So mm-hmm. it'd be kind of tough to reconcile something yeah. like that and then trading Char away for like prospects and picks. 
No, I, I get that. Or you just look down your right side and you say to yourself, Oof, you know what, Hayes, Pasternak, uh, we're, we, we, we need some help here ASAP. Yeah. Yeah. All right. None, uh, of the kids, none of the kids are ready. You know, Frank Frank Petrano is is injured to start the season, and man, you know, because I, I would have had Boston a little bit higher just to watch Frank Petrano this year. Hmm. Who, when the puck is on its stick, his stick, it just seems to go in. But I got Boston locked into twenty four. Go ahead. Okay. So who do you have next after? Who do you have twenty three? Uh, so I've on. got the New York Islanders, the Florida Panthers, and the Detroit Red Wings hmm. are, are are my next ones. I, I just don't know. You know how long you can play this revolving door around John Tavares until it, it finally bites you. Yep. You know that that's that's a that's a huge concern uh, for me. I was, I was talking about this on our podcast a while ago. I can't think uh, of another elite level centerman in the NHL who's had a revolving cast of characters more so than John Tavares, which really underscores just how great the guy is to begin with. That it seems if you know every season, you know he's getting a, he's getting a fresh uh, fresh cast. Um, on his wing, but I, I I don't know that I see a whole lot of, you know, they're there, and you know, you bring in Bavillier and Barzal to form, I guess, two thirds of your third line complements, mm-hmm. and that's two more kids you're breaking in. You know, you wonder at which point the the Islanders are going to finally take that next step to legitimacy. I mean, I I'm I'm still scratching my head on you know letting Kyle Poso go the way they did and as I understand it it wasn't even you know they had didn't even have like serious negotiations mm-hmm. to try to keep him and then you replace him with 30 year old Andrew Ladd yep. I that 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 to me is tough um so I've got I've got Islanders and then Panthers and then the Detroit Red Wings I know I might be in the minority on the Panthers um but tough without Bugstad to start the season and it's a killer not having Jonathan Huberto there yep yeah uh back to the Islanders for a second I it feels a bit weird to say that last year was kind of a disappointment for them because they did wind up making the playoffs and winning a round and and for that franchise it's a pretty big deal at this point but it, I remember two years ago they were just such an exciting team and they kind of finally started putting it all together and we we all thought that you know 2015 2016 they could really take that next step and and they they didn't they, they sort of fizzled out and were a bit more mediocre and, and kind of just i was a bit more indifferent on them than i expected i'd be and and that was disappointing to me so i'm kind of curious to see whether they can take that next step this year and and, and the, the reason why i have them just slightly higher than you do is, is you mentioned some of those young guys and also nick letty who i think people don't realize is probably like one of the top five finest players to watch in the league uh nick letty is too i got a lot of time for travis hamannick mm-hmm. uh, i really do when you when you look at a player that plays like big hard um tough minutes like against top competition every single night i'll take travis hamannick any day of the week mm-hmm. um and, and i'm with you on that and look yaroslav halak and geez we just saw it again at the world cup you know, has the ability to, to upset teams and, and put on the one-man goaltending clinic i'm just maybe all of this is just born out of this frustration that I don't think the Islanders are letting us see how great John Tavares can be because he just hasn't been surrounded by talent that is in any way complementary on a consistent basis. Yeah, I mean, his right that, winger right now is Jason Chimera. Like, what's going how on? How old is now? 36? Yeah. I mean, I, I think he I, had he, one he, of his best years last year, too, which is pretty funny. Yeah, and he's a lovable guy. All the dudes like him, and, and, and I and I get all that. But can John Tavares play with someone who's like twenty three and flying out there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, twenty five years old. You know, like someone in their in 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 their prime. Please. Mm. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, so, who are the other teams you mentioned? You mentioned the Re- the Red okay, Wings, I, mean, I think, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, and that that back end is going to be tough, yep. uh, and and it will. I mean, you can, you can see what they're trying to do with their with their back end for the future. And I think you know Joe Hicketts is going to be a piece there for uh, for a, for a long time. Um, so. You know, I mean, Dennis Chalosky, they go out and draft in the first round this year. So you, you, they're cognizant of it. They need to redo their back end. This is not unlike what the Boston Bruins are sort of going through and trying to do it through the draft. Mm-hmm. It's just going to take a while to get there. But, man, that blue line is underwhelming. Yeah. Um, it really is. Uh, some interesting stories up front. Um, here, I, here's why Detroit will be interesting to me, because I don't know what the answer to this question is. Who's a faster skater? Dylan Larkin or Andreas Athanasiu? Ooh, yeah, that's I think she, I think she would say Athanasiu. Yeah, just flat out red line to red line. Yeah, no, he's, and, he's you know, amazing. He's he, and the, the the thing that I love about him is you see with most of these guys, whether it's a a Carl Hagelin or a Michael Grabner or, or some of these speedsters or Mason Raymond, they don't necessarily have the hands to keep up with with their feet. So they they get to places, but then they just you know they never wind up actually finishing those opportunities. And and we saw in in flashes last year that he's a, a remarkable finisher. So he could he could really kind of turn some heads this season. And that's what made Pavel Bure so great, wasn't it? I mean, he was the first guy that we said, wow, man, this guy. I mean, we've seen fast, you know, plenty of fast players in the NHL before, you know, Nelson Emerson. Like, we've seen fast players in the NHL before. But to your point, you know, when the hands are as fast as the feet, you get something special. And I think the first one at that sort of ultra speed burner level was probably Pavel Bure. And that's where Vancouver fans, you know, got one of the greatest blessings of all time because you could see that on a consistent basis. And I remember I'd watch Vancouver games and say, how can someone skate that fast make those plays? Yeah. How can he get that shot off at full speed? Because you're right, guys, we have to slow down. You, you, you can get there fast, but before you made the play, you'd have to slow down a little bit. Bury was the first one that like, yeah, whatever, man, I'm making everything at top speed. Yeah, uh, it, it's, it's frustrating with this Red Wings team because they – have drafted well, obviously, in the past and have a lot of young talent up front. But a lot of Kenny Holland's moves in the past few years have been very head-scratching, whether it's sort of this loyalty. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait, you mean like letting go of Furk and Palkinen uh, yes. in favor of Steve Ott? I mean, are you yes. talking about a move, a move like that? I'm just surprised that, that it was Steve Ott and a- not Danny Cleary. Uh, you know what? Loyalty, right? Yeah. I mean, he didn't take the three-year deal from the Philadelphia Flyers, just come in on Evergreens, and I guess Ken Holland was true to his word, um, and you do have to respect that. But I, I, I'm surprised at how many un-Ken Holland-esque moves we've seen in the last little while from Ken Holland. Yeah. I guess it's inevitable, right? I mean, you lose five, you lose 13, you know, 40's going to be gone at, at some point. Franzen's gone too. I guess at a certain point, some of the the bloom comes off the rose, even for general managers like Ken Holland. Well, and and I've had this theory for a while now, but I think Ken Holland is, maybe he's kind of ill-suited to be a GM because of some of his player personnel decisions recently, but it's clear that he has an eye for sort of front office talent. Like, I feel like as a VP or something like that, he'd be great because we see all these guys that have come from from the the Ken Holland tree, so to speak, that have done great things on their new stops. And and I, I think if he took sort of a, I don't know if it's a step back or if he just kind of stepped away for a little bit and let someone else come in for player personnel decisions, it could go a long way for this franchise. Interesting, you know, and you can say the same thing about Mike, about Mike Babcock and you look at, you know, as much as you talk about, you know, some of the, the people that worked underneath Ken Holland that are now populating front offices, whether it's Jim Nill, whether it's Steve Eiserman, go right down the list. You can probably say the same thing about coaches that stood beside Mike Babcock and for me, front and center. 
like without a doubt, one of the more, and we'll get to this team, but not for a while, Dimitri, is Bill, <laughs> Peter, is Bill Peters with the Carolina Hurricanes. But you're not going to hear me say Carolina for quite some time yet on this podcast because mm. you're up to the top for me. But anyway, let's carry on. So uh, the next team that I have, I, what are we at right now? Like in the low 20s uh, or so? 20. We're at 20. We're at 20. Um, yeah. I have... I have the Montreal Canadiens here and uh, that might be a, you know, we might get a lot of hate mail about this, but I just, you know, I'm very intrigued to see how Radulov does and, and Pacioretty and Gallagher are very fun, but it's just, I can't get over the, the, the move they made this summer with, with the, with the Subban trade. I mean, that just makes them so much less entertaining to watch in my eyes. Yeah, I have Montreal up a little higher than you. Um, I have them at thirteen. Uh, at twenty, I've got I've got Arizona, Toronto, and Anaheim as, as my as my next three. Yep. Um, but if you want to do Montreal now, I'm cool with that. My big question about Montreal, well, there's there's a few. I think we all have them. Uh, I don't think we have a question about Carey Price. I am a sea opener with the flu, but I mean. I remember talking to a goaltending coach before the World Cup. And I said, "What are you looking for from Carey Price? How do you know that he's back? How do you know that he's you know not lingering?" He said. If you see him in that deep crouch where he explodes into position from it, because that's the athletic Carey Price we were all accustomed to. If you see that guy, then Carey Price is back. If you see a Carey Price that's standing up a little bit more and isn't exploding to get to position fast so he can block shots, then you know there's a problem. But, you know, Dimitri, safe to say that what we saw in the World Cup was that Carey Price that had that deep crouch that was pushing off hard and getting into position quickly to make saves look routine and easy, mm-hmm. even though he is very quietly maybe the most athletic goaltender in the NHL. So no questions about Carey Price. Um, Alexander Galch- Alex Galchenyuk, can he be the legitimate number one center? Mm-hmm. Um, Arturi Lekkonen, now formerly of Frolunda. Uh, does he stay the the entire season? I'm with you on Radulov. That's a low-risk move uh, for the Montreal Canadiens. And no, this isn't an Alex Salmon move. This is a, this is a Radulov move. Um, but my big question about, and it sort of hints at what you were talking about too, my big question about the Montreal Canadiens is also on the blue line. And I, when I look up and down it, I ask myself one question. Who is going to break the puck out? Mm-hmm. Yep. Who is breaking the puck out out of this collection of players? Well, I, I, I was. Were you surprised to see that Mikhail Sergachev made this uh, made this roster out of training camp? I um, two things. People seem to go all the way back and forth on whether it's Sergachev or Sergachev, which is cool. Yes. <laughs> um, I kind of expect him to be sent back to Windsor, mm-hmm. um, maybe as, as soon as when Jeff Petrie comes back from the injury. Yep. Um, I am a little bit because it's rare specifically for Montreal to put an 18 year old defenseman in the NHL. Um, I still think that there is plenty for him to do at the OHL level, considering his team is hosting the Memorial cup this year and will have a really good year and may just win the OHL championship as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm not, I'm not surprised about Atari Lekkonen making the team. I mean, everything that I heard last year about, about Lekkonen was he's too good for the SHL. He's ready for the national league and he's not coming back. So too bad for Lunda, the, you know, perennial powerhouse in Sweden, you're not getting Lekkonen back. But I was more than a little bit surprised to see Sergeyev make it. But wouldn't surprise me if he's if he's back there within a couple of weeks, back to Windsor. Well, there's going to be a lot on the plate of Nathan Boyu, that's for sure. Because Amen. He's he's, yep. he's he's playing with Weber now, as it looks like, and and he's going to have to do. We just, we saw with with Yossi, for example, he's going to have to do a lot of the heavy lifting and getting the puck out of the zone. And and it's interesting because he's shown those flashes, and and he was a highly regarded prospect and and all that, but. 
we haven't necessarily seen him kind of put it all together and become that guy that we were expecting him to. So it's quite reasonable that he could. But if he winds up struggling at all, then this team, I think, is going to really struggle moving the puck. Can we pause for a couple of moments on uh, on the team that I have at 18, and that's the Anaheim Ducks? Mm-hmm. Yes. When I, look, when I look around the NHL, and you say to yourself, okay, you know, normally you want to go glass half full. You know, which team is poised to surprise and do the most damage you didn't see coming? And we'll get to Colorado in a second. Mm-hmm. But if you look the opposite way and say which team is ready for the huge fall, man, I go to Anaheim fast. Yeah. Um, and, you know, ha- knowing that, you know, he may end up being signed by the time this podcast gets published. I mean, dancing with Hampus Lindholm like this is dangerous. Yeah. You know, you, it's it's one thing to do this with a Simone Dupre uh, or or even a, a Sammy Vatnin, but I mean, I've I've got Hampus Lindholm as you know one of the top fifteen, if not top ten, defensive in the entire NHL. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's how highly I think of Hampus Lindholm. Um, you have brought back a a a coach who is not the most popular guy, safe to say, with a lot of those players that are still in that room. Uh, namely Getzlaff and, and Corey Perry. Um, I think there's some really underrated uh, players on this team, namely Andrew Cogliano and Jakob Sulferberg, um, who don't get as much love defensively as, as they should. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I look at a team that's poised to have the big crash, and it might be spectacular considering what we've seen of late, it might just be the Anaheim Ducks. This might be the one we look at and say, "Whoa, we knew they might take a small step back, but not a not a giant tumble off the cliff." Yeah, I think I think the decision to head into the season without Hampus Lindholm under contract is is pretty unconscionable. I mean, it's he's quite clearly their best defenseman, as you mentioned. I think he's somewhere in that ten to fifteen range in terms of the entire league, and and the same can be said for Rickard Raquel, who's not necessarily as big of an impact player as Lindholm is. But I think people are underestimating how much he brought to this team last year, just in terms of kind of being a, a dynamic player who can make things happen out of nothing because this team is so uh, veteran-based and plotting, and he added a, a totally different dynamic that currently when I'm looking at this roster, they don't very have much of. So I, I, I'm really worried about them in terms of how they can keep up. And, and we haven't even mentioned the, the coaching change yet because Boudreaux, yeah. Boudreaux very, very clearly made adjustments last year that saved their season after that horrible start. And, and yep. if, if Carlisle isn't capable of making those adjustments on the fly, then they really could fall back in the Pacific Division. And I'm not 100% sold on the goalie. Yeah. Right? Like, I mean, that... What's the old saying? If you have a goalie, it's... Uh... It's what is it? It's fifty percent of your team. If you don't have a goalie, it's seventy percent of your team. Like it's, whew, it's if John Gibson isn't the guy because they've said you know Sayonara to uh, uh, to Freddie Anderson. Mm-hmm. If John Gibson isn't your guy, what then? If you're the Anaheim Ducks, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a tough spot to be in. Um, okay, so I think you, you did you already mention the Leafs. Uh, yeah, I got them. In, I got them in at nineteen. I think it'll be interesting just to see Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. Mar- Marner to me is one of the more fascinating players uh, that I've seen. I mean, the Kane comparisons are there. I would throw Paul Korea into that mix. Mm-hmm. In that, when you watch Mitch Marner play, a he's got that weird sort of hunchback style of skating, which I suppose allows him to protect the puck a little bit more. But normally, when we say the guy, someone's a good. Here, here's the thing about Mitch Marner. Normally, when we say, "Oh, this guy's a really good skater," like you say, you know, Dylan Larkin, right? Yep. So, oh, this guy's a really good skater. Normally, what we mean is he's a really fast skater. When I look at Mitch Marner, I say he's a really good skater because he's able to create separation between himself and the opponent, not with speed, but with quick cuts. 
Mm. Right. Like the way that he, the way that he moves his body, the way that he cuts, the way that, you know, the way that he button hooks, you know, catches defenseman off guard and he buys himself that buffer zone and buys himself that space to look around and to make his plays. That's rare. You know, normally it's, you know, it's speed zone, it's fly, 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 get there faster than the other guy. It's almost as if Mitch Marner wants to get there smarter than the other guy, not faster than the other guy. So the Maple Leafs will be fascinating just for a couple of plays. I I think the only only question about the team is 30th or 29th, um, but a couple of players, Austin Matthews and, and Mitch Marner, that's... That's the reason why I suppose maybe I have them higher than I should at 19. Yeah. Right, don't forget Willie, you, Willie Nylander as well. He'll drive Babcock crazy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's, he's, and, and he's, he's going to play on that young line with, with, uh, with Matthews and Hyman to start. Mm-hmm. And whether it's, you know, uh, the lack of, of defensive acumen, which we know drives Babcock nuts, or, you know, maybe overloading on his shots and not getting them off quick enough. I, I can see the one guy, and we saw last year, right? I mean, Babcock went out of his way to rip him a few times. I, I can still see William Nylander, as talented as he may be, still ending up some nights in the doghouse of Mike Babcock this mm-hmm. season. Yeah, so I, I lumped the Leafs uh, right around this range, around the 20 range. I lumped the Leafs, uh, the Arizona Coyotes, and the Calgary Flames together. Um, where do you have the, the Coyotes and the Flames? I got, yeah, I've got Coyotes at 20, but the Flames up a little bit higher at 15. I think they're going to have a better a better season than I think some people suspect. Mm-hmm. And, and namely, it's because of that blue line and that goaltender. Yep. Um, I mean, the goaltending right away is a big improvement. I mean, that's that's an obvious one. They they couldn't get any saves at all. Um, and maybe the other reason I should probably throw them into the mix as well is the coaching change. And, you know, we won't see that very predictable long bomb pass uh, from the defense, which teams, you know, recognized early and and, and dined out on. Uh, Sam Bennett is, is one year more mature. Uh, ditto for Sean Monaghan, Johnny Gaudreau. Um, has now been uh, has now been signed. I know that the right side may look a little bit weaker mm-hmm. uh, than than the left side of the Calgary Flames, but you know between Giordano and Brody and Hamilton and Yokopaka, who I think is a pretty underrated defenseman. Um, surprised they didn't try to retain. Hello, good for Carolina. Nakladal, uh, Nakladal, mm-hmm. uh, the, the Czech defenseman. But I, I still like. Because of that blue line, because of that goaltender, and because they're they're one year deeper into their very young NHL careers, I, I still have Calgary uh, a little bit higher. And for that reason, that's one that I'm they're, – they're right in the middle of the pack for me. They're number 15 as far as watchability goes. Yeah. What about you, Dimitri? Um, so, yeah, I, I had the Flames at uh, 19. And the, the, you mentioned Bennett. I think that if there was, like, one guy that I pick could take that next step this season, I I, I really think he could. He, he showed a lot of flashes of it last season, had huge individual performances, is kind of scattered around the schedule. And if he puts it all together, I feel like he – that'll be huge for them because we know that, that, that Goodrow and, and Monaghan will carry that first line. But if if him and Brower and, and it looks like Kachuk's going to be playing with him at least to start the year, if, if they can yeah. give him a legitimate second scoring line, I think that's going to go a huge way towards potentially kind of having them even, even leapfrog a team like the Ducks if they fall off like we just mentioned yeah and the interesting thing about sam bennett uh even though he's a centerman don't you get that plays like taylor hall vibe about him i mean mm-hmm. he goes to the net hard yep. like it's almost as if you know if you're glenn gullett's like uh that's great kid but can you can you ease up a little bit on, on going to the i guess it's a nice problem to have to try to calm someone down i mean he really he really plays an aggressive style of hockey that that to me is an exciting brand down the middle so i'm, I'm with you 100 percent on sam bennett mm. And we should quickly touch on the Coyotes just because we haven't really said anything about them yet. But it, it is, I mean, it's they've 
fully embraced the youth movement, even though they brought back Verbata and Shane Doan is still there. I mean, you look yeah. up and down the lineup with, with Domi and Duclair and then Strom, Dvorak. I mean, Lawson Krause is in there. And then and then the big difference this year from last is, is the blue line, where it was pretty much if Ekman Larson wasn't out there, they were they were cooked. And, and now they, they, they obviously they signed Goligoski and, and Jacob Chikrin looks like he's going to be really good right out of the gate. So there's some options there. So I think that the Coyotes, it's interesting because last year was sort of the perfect storm for them where they were really fun to watch i think if you if you kind of in hindsight rank the top 30 teams on watchability they would have been top 15 last season but they didn't do a lot of winning which was perfect for them because they wound up getting some high picks and and i think that could be more of the same this year where i'm not necessarily sure they're gonna have a winning season or even be kind of sniffing the playoffs but i think they're gonna be really fun to watch on a nightly basis Yep, uh, I think the Goligoski move is an excellent one uh, for the Arizona Coyotes. I mean, uh, I think we and I, you know, I've talked plenty about uh, Oliver Ekman Larson. I don't think we need to waste any more oxygen doing that. You know, the guy's outstanding. What, what more can you say? He's a phenomenal defenseman. I thought the Goligoski signing uh, was excellent. I, I, I do wonder about Jacob Trickren. I mean, I'm very happy that he made the team. Um, cheer for the guy. Um, hope that he does well. I, I don't know that he's he's there for the whole season. Um, you know, if and I know they're different teams and different conferences, but if you know, if if Sergachev can't hang in the NHL for the season, how can Jacob Chikrin? Maybe that's an unfair comparison. And when you're, you know, maybe it's it's not just apples and oranges; it's chalk and cheese when you're when you're comparing the two. Um, but I, I like them, and I, I like you know, I I'd be very interested to see what that you know Lawson Krause, uh, Dylan Strom, Anthony DeClaire line can do. I mean, you talk about kids, and I'm, I am really curious to see how, how Dylan Strom is taking that next step. You know, the Stroms have, and we'll see it with Matthew, who's draft eligible this year out of the Hamilton Bulldogs. Skating has never been the strength, uh, but all the other skills more than make up for it. Um, you know, the puck smarts, you know, the puck protection, the distribution. Um, in Dylan Strom's uh, case, has a real nice shot, like a really nice wrist shot. I'm I'm interested to see what that that declare line with uh, with Strom and Kraus look like because there's a lot of muscle on either side of uh, of, uh, of uh, Dylan Strom for this year for Arizona. So I, I'm with you. I, and I, I understand why you know Shane Doan is there. Like I, I get it. Um, a, you want to have reliable vet, and B, he's a recognizable personality in, in that marketplace. So um, oh yeah, we should probably mention how good Max Domi is mm. <laughs> somewhere in this conversation yeah, and how ex- and how exciting Max Domi is. So I, I'm with you. I, I dig me some Arizona Coyotes. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to seeing them play. Okay, so who do you have next? I've got uh, 14, 13, and 12. I got your Minnesota, I got your Montreal, and then I got your team that is maybe ready for a big tumble, Chicago Blackhawks. Mm. Am I allowed to say that? I still still know people love them and look at Kane and Taves and Panarin's your rookie of the year and Crawford and Keith and Seabrook and Chalmerson. Are we allowed to say that depth may be an issue finally for the Chicago Blackhawks? I think I think that's uh it's 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 well past due saying that. I had him at twelve on my list. Um I think that Oh, so they, do I. I got him at twelve. Yeah. Oh, okay, perfect. Same. So yeah, so uh, I think that they're gonna be very entertaining to watch just because that high end talent up front still is there. And I think that bringing in a guy like Campbell to give them a second option other than Duncan Keith to help move the puck will be huge for them. But yeah. you look on the on the edges of this team and, and I understand that you know, when you're doing so much winning as they have over the years, it's tough. You're going to, you're going to bleed out talent and eventually you're going to have to kind of, you know, either adjust on the fly or, or go through a few years of, of, of bumpy, bumpy patches in the road. But they're, they're relying on a lot of guys who I, you know, if you, if you gave 
uh, Bowman some truth serum, I, I feel like he'd probably uh, be honest with you and tell you that he wouldn't really want to be relying on these guys at this point. Yeah, and then maybe he'd want the Andrew Ladd trade back. Mm, yes. But, hey, you're, go- you're going for it, right? What, what, what can you say? Um, yeah, after that top six, it, it, it gets pretty thin pretty fast. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it really does. It looks really un-Chicago Blackhawks-esque. Um, which to your point, you know, when you're successful that you, that long in a, in a salary cap era, you know, things are going to happen. To me, we might be able, we we might be seeing one of the more disappointing things that I personally will watch in the game, and that is uh, a decline from Marion Hosa, yes. who I think is going to go down in history, at least in my mind, as the greatest player to never win the Selkie Trophy. And I've gone on about the center bias for the Selkie a number of different times, and I won't bore you with it. But the fact that Marion Hossa, as a winger, never won a trophy that was named for a two-way winger, Bob Gainey. I mean, that, they made the trophy because, you know, shit, Bob is so good, we can't give him the heart. We have to give him something. I know. Let's make up a trophy for the best two-way forward, the best defensive forward. The fact that Marion Hossa, in his career, and you have to go back to Yuri Lettinen to find the last one that won the Selkie, the fact that Marion Hossa will go down his, his entire career and have not won the Selkie Trophy, to me, is borderline criminal when yeah. it comes to voting for that award. Yes. Yeah, no, it's a remarkable player to watch. So effective. So good at everything. And, Such So polished. Player's player, right? Like, yeah. if you ask all the guys, like, with all due respect to Taves and, and to Kane, if you ask the guys that, that play in the NHL, you know, who do you most admire on the Chicago Blackhawks? Most of them will say Marion Hossa. Mm-hmm. thoroughly professional like it does everything impeccably you know and is a big strike he's, he, he's that that perfect blend of like strength and skill you know can't move him off the puck can't lift them lift, lift up his stick he's great on the back check he's always in position you know there's you know joel quenville's had a real luxury there's two guys on his team that he can tap on the shoulder and know that for the next 45 seconds he won't have to worry about them at all and that's jonathan taves and marion hosa mm-hmm. And when you have not one but two of those as a head coach, um, it means you have to buy that much more or less Tylenol. And he's had a real blessing having those guys on the team. Yeah. And when you're this top heavy, I mean, you you look at his team, they're they're one injury to one of these guys away from really, I I feel like, tumbling down the standings. And and listen, Corey Crawford is still, I feel like he's never going to get the credit he deserves just because everyone's going to talk about Taves and and, and Hosa and Kane and and Panarin and and Keith. But uh, Crawford was... You know, very arguably their their most valuable player last season. There were stretches there where they were getting pummeled in the in the shot department and weren't looking like the yep. Chicago Blackhawks teams we've come to expect in recent years. And and he was saving them. And and obviously, you know, Kane had a remarkable scoring season, and he'll probably. I don't think he'll repeat it, but he'll once again be right up there in terms of the the, the scoring leaders in the league. And and it, it's very easy to see them kind of with that formula once again finishing maybe second or third in the Central and being a very tough out in the playoffs again. But it's it's pretty clearly a step down from what we've come to expect from them. You know, going into the World Cup, you know, you could have done an interesting exercise. And I know he won the gold medal for Canada and World Junior Success and all that. But if you were choosing a goaltender for Team Canada based on, you know, who's been in the most high pressure games and high pressure situations in his career, mm-hmm. could you not make the case for Corey Crawford over Carey Price? Yeah, I think you could. I think you could too. Yeah. Yeah, no, and he he's remarkable. It's it it is one of those things. It's like the the Mark Andre Fleury thing, right? Like if if they if his team loses, it's going to be his fault. But if they win, it's going to be the guy. Oh, I know. The goals. You know, I think they're drafted in the same year too, aren't they? I think uh, Mark Andre Fleury was the first goalie drafted that year, and then Crawford was second. Yes. I think. 
I don't know. I'm getting old, Dimitri. Yeah, it's been a facts, while. Facts are escaping me. It's been a while. So you mentioned the Minnesota Wild, and I, I think they're a fascinating team to discuss because they have a lot of interesting chess pieces up front that they could move. I feel like, you know, we know the Zach Parise. <laughs> we know the, I think the one given on this team is that Zach Parise is going to be their top left winger. Other than that, uh, I feel like uh, every single thing is, he, is so I, fluid. Okay, a, a few things on that. We saw at the World Cup. He's not the same Zach Parise yet. And at 32 years of age, I, I don't know that we're going to get, is he 32 or 30? He's in that neighborhood. Might be aging him. Um, I don't know that we're going to get that Zach Parisi that we all remember back. Mm-hmm. I, I almost think, like, okay, he's still real good. He's still a, a great player, but that, that, you know, left winger that at times was dominant. I, I don't know that we're getting that Zach Parisi back in the, uh, in the NHL. Um, the left side to me for, the left side to me for Minnesota is, is is really interesting. You have Zach Parisi, who's, you know, some of the shine has gone there. You know, Michael Granlin has been endlessly frustrating. And again, you saw it this year, even though Finland underwhelmed at the World Cup, you know, Michael Granlin may have been their best player. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what it is, Dimitri, but every time I see him play internationally, Granlin is awesome. And I keep saying to myself, where's that in Minnesota? Yeah. You know, where's where's that guy that we see play internationally in the NHL? Um, I think uh, I think Niederreiter is a really underestimated player. Mm-hmm. I think as far as uh, as far as being someone who's poised for a breakout season, uh, if you put a gun to my head and said choose one in their mid twenties to have that breakthrough between twenty four and twenty five, I'm taking Nino Niederreiter. And I've always waited for more from Jason Zucker. Mm, yes, and I keep saying, nope, this is going to be the year. Nope, this is going to be the year. I hope this is the year for Jason Zucker, and maybe with Bruce Boudreau it will um there's a real skilled guy there i know he took a real step backwards last year but the season before was real good so that whole left side for for minnesota to me is is the is a curious case because between parisi with you know giving you diminished returns and a bunch of we don't know what but we suspect they can be better than what we've seen the potential for growth is not down the middle, Eric Stahl and Miko Koivu. Like it's not down the middle for Minnesota. Mm-hmm. To me, the potential for growth, and it might be explosive, is all along the left side. And none of it has to do with Zach Parisi, interestingly enough. Yeah. And, and well, that's the thing. I think that we've seen Boudreaux in the past puts his guys in position to succeed and, and can kind of tinker with the lineup like that. And, and, and I think he's going to have to do a lot of that this season to make this work. But that's what makes him fascinating to me just because yeah. it, 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 I feel like their ceiling is very high and it could also not work out at all. It's an interesting kind of a science experiment they have going on. It is. And the one thing about Bruce Boudreaux teams is they get in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I look at the lineup and I say to myself, oh, Bruce, how are you going to get this team with the lineup? But the one thing um, the one thing we do know uh, about Boudreaux teams is they get to the playoffs. This may be Bruce Boudreaux's biggest test as a head coach going back to 2008, 2000, was it 2008? No, 207, 208, uh, when he finally got uh, the Washington Capitals into the postseason. But it took until game 82 in an afternoon game, I think, with the uh, Florida Panthers. This may be the toughest challenge for Bruce Boudreaux so far. Well, you were mentioning Granlin as a guy that you watch internationally, and you, you just wonder how he's not that same player in the NHL and and I feel like every time I've watched Charlie Coyle play I, I think he's amazing and he looks like he does everything but then you look at the overall package in terms of what he did that season for example or or whatever or what he's done for his career so far and I feel like there is still a mismatch between when I watch him in select viewings what he looks like he could be versus what he actually is in reality 
I like him as a center more than a winger. Yeah. How about you? Yes. Like when I see Coyle, I say to myself, I don't want to see him on the right side. I want to see Charlie Coyle in the middle. Well, are you a bit surprised that he's not centering that line? I feel like, do you think that they had to kind of promise that to stall, at least out of the gate to, to, to bring him to Minnesota? I, I suppose so. I mean, this is this is sort of you know reclamation time for for Eric Stahl. I think it is in his own mind. Yeah. Um, I was on it to be honest with you. I, I'm kind of surprised that Eric Stahl, because he wasn't in position to do so, got that deal. Mm-hmm. You know, I know there's a real short list of teams that he could have gotten a, a contract at all from, considering the kind of money that Eric Stahl was going to command, and it's three and a half million dollars times three um i i think it's just been too many miles on 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 eric stall yep and i i don't see him as a legit number one guy anymore i don't think any of us do he wasn't that towards the end in carolina certainly wasn't that with the new york rangers i i don't know if, if eric stall ends up starting the season as bruce boudreau's first line guy you can pretty much take it to the bank that it'll be short-lived because yeah. that guy's that guy's played a lot of hockey for a lot of years, and there have been a lot of injuries to that body. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, let's talk about the Blues because I have them next. I'm not sure. Have you mentioned them yet, or are they higher up? The list? Uh, yeah, I had the St. Louis Blues at uh, at 17, so I've already sort of passed by. The, see, I, I look at St. Louis and I say to myself this: I say, self, the St. Louis Blues will take one step back this year to take two steps forward next season. Hmm. Yep. You know, when you when you look at the players they let go of and you look at how, you know, now it's going to really transition to the Tarasenko, the Terra, you know, Fabry, this, you know, these uh, Jaden Schwartz when he comes back, um, you know, it's going to move away from Jay Bomeister and be more about Colton Pareko, who I still think at the end of all of this ends up the class of that blue line. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I kind of see this as that that small step backwards before two big steps forward year for the uh, for the St. Louis Blues. Yeah, but I mean, you mentioned all those guys, and I feel like that's a pretty good spot to be in. And that's like what five or six guys that are both remarkably effective, but also really fun to watch. Uh, especially Tarasenko. Yeah, I mean, I remember, um, I remember you did that uh, that piece where you showed, you know, when he's in the home plate. That's like he doesn't shoot until he, you know, imagines himself in that zone, and it's effective and it's fast. Like there's a difference between being quick and being sudden. And when I watch Tarasenko, when the puck's on its on his stick, it's not it's not a fast release; it's a sudden release, and that's what makes it so frightening. May have the best release in the entire NHL, um, and I don't think it would surprise anybody if he won the Rocket Richard this year. So, you know, with, with you on that, I am curious about Yakupov and, and how they use him and what ends up happening there. Um, he'll play on that third line with Berglund and Yaskin. Uh, they pretty much said that from the get go. You imagine he'll have plenty of power play time. Um, I, I always like them. Like I always like, I always like the personality, yeah. you know, maybe I'm just like an old, old, you know, sappy guy, but I've always had a soft spot on my heart for Neil Yakupov because of the personality. And I know he drives some coaches crazy. I know there's been some frustrating moments with Neil Yakupov, mm-hmm. but for whatever reason, I've always kind of had this thing about Yakupov that I want to see him do well. Well, and I think it's also tough for people to separate <clears throat> the idea of him as the first overall pick but at this point it's like a sunk cost right so you kind of just got to scratch that from your head and just recalibrate your expectations and i feel like for this team he could very conceivably score 
20 goals for them and if he does That'd it, was be great. A, it, was a, it was a no-brainer of a trade for them especially since he's playing totally. in line i wonder if i wonder if him and magnus prv are gonna have some uh fun war stories to share with each other on this team <laughs> so what did they give up on you <laughs> oh yeah you too hey okay yeah let's get taylor hall in here next and have a three-way conversation so i'm i'm, I'm curious um you might be the guy to answer this question since you follow the the major junior circuit more closely than i do um okay. is, is ty ratty ever gonna make it in the nhl he um for a long time was an elite level scorer mm-hmm. um uh an elite elite level scorer in, in the western hockey league um i've always said that ty ratty's going to be a long time nhl and he's going to be productive you know it's not as if he's i mean i guess well, maybe the barrier to entry now up front is six foot one and he's not you know the biggest guy out there at but five eleven six feet tall mm-hmm. um so he's kind of in that he, He's in the conversation for being a little bit on the smallish side, but I, I've always thought, and I'm I'm still sticking to it. Uh, I know he's 23 years old now, but I, I still think that Ty Ratty, uh, with the right situation, and unfortunately now for Ty Ratty, he's been replaced by Neil Yakubov <laughs> on that third line right spot. Like the minute the trade was made, I'm like, oh, this does not look good for Ty Ratty. Um, and sure enough, it wasn't good news for Ty Ratty. But I think if he, if he finds himself in the right situation, he can still be a productive guy in the NHL because he certainly was so, you know, going through in his, in his Bantam draft year where he was, you know, torching leagues or playing major junior with that uh, with Portland. Mm. Okay. So my 10, 11, uh, I grouped here together and that's the Edmonton Oilers and the Carolina hurricanes. Um, where did you, where did you have those two teams? I've got at eleven. I've got Winnipeg, and I've got Edmonton at ten. I've got the Carolina Hurricanes. You were ready for it? Yeah. I got the Carolina Hurricanes at four. Ooh. I love the Carolina Hurricanes, yeah. dude. Well, I mean, you say <laughs> no more. Fourth uh, as, as you can tell, I, I just I, I mean a lot of that was you know the uh, the the curiosity factor. I love. You know, I love little moves like what they did with McLeodell and what they did with Firk. I mean, and that's got Eric Tulski written all over it, yep. um, which is which is fantastic. And I remember talking to Bill Peters on our podcast in the summer, and he he went you know out of his way to to talk about how great a relationship he does have. Uh, with Eric Tulski, and I don't think I need to explain who that is to anyone that listens to a show called the PDO cast. <laughs> yes. Um, but uh, see, Bill Peters to me is sort of on the vanguard of being one of the more progressive thinkers in the game. Um, he was telling us about, you know, I want to play a line with Elias Lindholm and Sebastian Ajo and Tabo Teravain and started talking about it. And I kind of cut him off and said, you got three centers on the same line. Yes. And he said, yeah, I, I get that. But aren't we at a place now where we need to start rethinking what lines are and what not what lines are, but what what positions are? You know, like if you're the first on the back check to the puck and it's not in your lane, I'm sorry. All of a sudden, now you're the centerman and you and you have that responsibility. I, like I've I've personally felt this way for a while, and Bill Peters to me was the first to articulate it. I think the next wave of coaching is in a lot of ways doing away with this table hockey-esque idea of positions that you know you don't just go up and down your right side and that's it and your only responsibility as a back checker is to make sure the defensemen don't get in front of you i think we're at a place now specifically when you know kids enter the nhl with high skill sets and understanding you know they do so much you know puck theory and game theory and playing different positions i think we're at a place now where we can really rethink you know sure you line up at right wing when the puck drops but after that, 
you just react to what's there regardless of what your quote-unquote position is. So I'm curious to see what Peters is able to do with that Carolina Hurricanes with that philosophy to say nothing of the great work he did specifically <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> in the neutral zone last year mm-hmm. with how they turned over pucks. Like I, I know that Carolina, you know, they're, they're analytics darlings in a lot of ways. I remember talking to someone there who said, oh, yeah, yeah, what we like to do is we take the first 10 minutes and, you know, we take a million shots and we warm up our course and that keeps everyone online happy. <laughs> and I kind of a chuckle about that. But I am really curious to see what that coach can do with that team. Yeah, no, they were. And, and that's the thing. They they clearly dominated possession last year. And, and the big issue was they just didn't necessarily have the talent up front to convert on a lot of those chances. And suddenly we're seeing an influx there. And I think, yeah. that, I think that line you mentioned with, with, with Aho, uh, Tuevo and, and, and Lindholm will be one of the funnest lines to watch in the league just to see I hope so. how those yeah. guys play off of each other. And, and uh, on the first line, I mean, Victor Rask burst on, onto the scene last year, but Jeff Skinner, I feel like, uh, is still so underrated somehow. We, we all think of that 18 year old season he had when he scored 30 goals and won the Calder. And, you know, he had a few concussions there and it looked like his career yeah. possibly could have been derailed, but he quietly had an amazing year last year. And, and he does, I'm very partial to him because he does the few things I really love from my forwards. He shoots a lot, he scores yeah. a lot of goals, and he draws a lot of penalties. And that's really all you can ask for from a guy like that, especially on the wing. He's a great skater that gets in position. Mm hmm. Right. I mean, and, and in a lot of ways, I mean, a, a lot, I mean, you know this, I mean, a lot of, a lot of shooting in the NH, a lot of goals, you know, can kind of, you know, come down to luck, which is why you need the volume. And in order to get the volume, you need to get yourself into position to have that. Skinner does that. I mean, he's slippery. He really is. And, and the one thing, and this is how you mentioned the concussions and to some, it, it wasn't a surprise knowing how he played in junior with the Kitchen Rangers. And there was one series where Kitchen went up three, nothing against the powerhouse Windsor Spitfires. It was one of the years they won the Memorial cup. Mm-hmm. And I mean, uh, I bet think Peter DeBoer might've been the coach then too. I think DeBoer still was in Kitchener. Mm, maybe it was Steve spot. I can't recall. One of the two. And uh, Skinner was like, Honestly, he was high skill. Certainly the skating was outrageous, but he was going around the ice, knocking everybody around. Like I know it's a, it's, it's a freak when you watch Jeff Skinner now and you think about him like a wrecking ball in junior, but you know, there were times when he was that guy. I mean, he was a guy that would score 40 goals and hit everybody on the ice. That was Jeff Skinner. You get to the NHL, you can't exactly play that way. And all of a sudden, you have to be a little smarter and can't just try to steamroll kids. But I've always liked Skinner, and I've always admired the way that he's able to get himself in position to get shots off in offensive zones that are just clogged up with everybody, you know, everyone just sort of surrounding the net like it's a, like it's a fortress. Yeah, and the other thing with his team is they're in a good position because they have a plethora of young talented defensemen and when you look around this league i mean we just discussed teams like the bruins and the red wings and the rangers and they would love to have like any of these seven or eight guys that the, the hurricanes could trot out i mean whether it's you know hannafin or pesci or, or slavin or obviously falk and you know you go on yeah. down, you go on down the line i mean hayden florio eventually make this team roland McKeon. like they, they, they're, just, they're, they're just loaded right you're uh, you're forgetting a very important piece uh, whose backyard backs up into my backyard here in Stouffville, and that's Trevor Carrick of the Carrick family. Thank you very much. We're going to throw him into that mix as well, a little uh, for a little Stouffville flavor. Yeah, you're right. It is an embarrassment of riches, like on on the back end for the Carolina Hurricanes. It's they've done a great job, and you know you mentioned Pesci. I mean, there's there's players that jump. Like, did you at the beginning of last year think he was going to be that much of a factor? No, we all thought Hannafin was going to be the one to keep their eyes on, and very quietly. 
specifically in the back end of the season, Hannafin had a pretty good year. Yep. You know, Hannafin's, you know, looking like, okay, we got solid NHL here for 15 years. I mean, he's a big guy who can really move his feet, like really move his feet. Um, yeah, so I mean, I, I know I'm gushing about him like they invented oxygen here, but uh, I'm getting ahead of myself on my rankings. But yeah, I've got them in at number four, just uh, for all those all those reasons we just mentioned. Okay. Well, let's do a let's do a quick thing on the Oilers since we both had them around here. Yeah, I got Oilers at ten. Yep, um, they'll be interesting because of you know Connor McDavid, uh, Connor McDavid, and Connor McDavid. Um, that that the, the question to me is, and yes, their defense improved a little bit. I mean, Larson is an improvement. Would I have spent Taylor Hall on him? No, um, but there is an improvement there. The Chris Russell story is the Chris Russell story. I mean, that was that was going to be the test, mm-hmm. um, and it, it took a long time. And it was the Oilers that ended up. Um, signing him and bringing in yet another left-handed shot <clears throat> into their mix. So coming around the net, some guys going to be doing it on their backhand, which doesn't bode well for a defenseman, but that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, one of the questions is, you know, how far can, can players like Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl drag this team? Yep. And I, I don't say drag lightly, although it does sound frivolous, but really to me, this is the test of, of Connor McDavid and it's early, but I, I'm, I'm still not, I know there's a lot of excitement at Edmonton, and it's the new rink, and it's out with the old Yakupov, and out with the old Taylor Hall, and there's a couple of new guys on the blue line, but I, I still see this being another year of pain for the Edmonton Oilers, unless Connor McDavid can can drag this thing into the playoffs. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it, it really just speaks to the talent that Connor McDavid is, that we both had him here around the 10 range, just because... There, there, there's clear flaws and holes on this team, and there's a lot of guys on the edges that I don't really have any interest in watching. And McDavid will just make it all kind of make me forget about all of it, pretty much. I don't know. You have I, to. You I, have to. Like it, it, honestly, like every time he was on Game Center last year, yeah. Every time the Evans, well, while he was healthy, you had to watch. Yes. Does not matter who they're playing. If you have a chance to watch Connor McDavid, that is your speed bump game. I'm sorry. You know, it might be, you know, it might be the grudge match, you know, the Keystone State battle, Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, and it's going to be four hours, line brawls. Like, doesn't matter. You're watching Connor McDavid when he's on. Like, he's a handful of guys you can say that. Like, like honestly, how many, how many players, Dimitri, can you say can individually sell tickets that you would go just to watch that player? You know, Crosby, Ovechkin. Um, you know, some would even say we just talked about, uh, about Vlad Tarasenko. He may be one as well. Mm-hmm. But isn't Connor McDavid top of that list who individually can sell tickets? Yeah, I think so. It's, it's crazy that we've what, we've seen which, like thirty or forty games of him, and we're already saying that forty-five. Yeah. I know, which is why you know, come July first, uh, when they can negotiate a long-term contract with Connor McDavid, mm-hmm. to me, it should be the easiest conversation in the world. It's a blank check. Well, it should be Jeff Jackson walking in there saying, we can do this, who's the agent with Bobby Orr Group for Connor can walk in there and say, listen, Peter, we can do this the easy way or the hard way. We want the max uh, for the max amount of years. Mm-hmm. Um, either you can give it to us or we can go the offer sheet route because there are 30 other teams. Yes, Vegas is part of the team, part of the league. There are 30 other teams that will offer sheet Connor McDavid when he's done his contract the following year. Mm-hmm. How do you want to do this? The easy way or the hard way? Yeah. Easy way, it should please. be simple. Easy it way. should be simple, right? Yeah. Like it should be the easiest. Like you sh- it's almost as if Peter Shoy should already have the contract tucked in a drawer, closed and locked, ready to open up on July first. Yep. And just fill in. Okay, what's the max per CBA? Yeah, I just hope that they actually do 
a reasonable job here of surrounding him with the talent. I, I, the, the past handful of moves that they've done, I haven't necessarily uh, been left feeling too optimistic. The fact that they're actually going to maximize these years where he's incredibly cheap and incredibly good. Um. Yeah. I, yes, I agree. Um. I, I. I wonder about the move with Milan Lucic, mm-hmm. and not to say that he didn't drag guys, you know, around the Ontario League because he did. Because who's keeping up with Conor McDavid? Right. Um. It's rare. I mean, who's going to keep up with this guy? Um. But I mean, Alex DeBrincat kind of did too. It's a nice little draft pick of the Chicago Blackhawks. Mm-hmm. But um. Milan Lucic has had two centers in his career. He's had David Krejci and Anse Kopitar for the majority of his career. The one common denominator between David Krejci and Anse Kopitar is neither of them are particularly fast. They're creative. They're smart. I mean, they're real good, smart, intelligent, elite level hockey thinkers slash hockey players. But none of them had speed as the main skill set in their game. I One of the questions, one of the reasons why I'm curious and I have Edmonton this high is can Milan Lucic keep up to Connor McDavid for 82 games this year? Or is his tongue going to be hanging out by the end of every shift? I don't know that. Don't know the answer to that. The cynical side of me says not a chance because he's never been expected or asked to. He's played with Krejci and Kopitar. He's never been asked to play with someone as fast as Connor McDavid. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to be a struggle. Um, and and it's, it's a shame because... This is their this is their window here, right? Like obviously they're not necessarily going to go from being where they've been the past few years to all of a sudden being a cup contender. But you'd like to see them make those positive steps in the right direction. And I would have liked them a lot more if they still had Taylor Hall on this team and, and instead of Milan Lucic, for example. So it's kind of a bummer. Yeah. But but I, I, once again, I mean Connor McDavid is just such a talent that he sort of makes you kind of forget about all that stuff at least for a few minutes. Um, yep. Okay, so number number nine, we're getting into the top ten here, which is exciting. Here we go. Uh, number nine, I have the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, I've got them higher, man. You're going to be like shocked how high I have them. I've got San Jose, Washington, and Dallas next. Mm. Or my next. You want to do, you want to do Colorado now? Or you want to hold on to it? Uh, yeah, let's do Colorado now. Okay. <clears throat> new coach, new coach, and new coach. Mm-hmm. This team is too highly skilled to be this bad for that long. Yep. Um, I think that Bednar and it's funny, I was just even just talking to Todd Lishko about him, uh, last week when I did hockey central with him, who played with him in the minors and it's consistent. Like everyone that I talked to about Bednar says the same thing. People love this guy. This will be a breath of fresh air in that room. Um, they are, I know there might be a depth issue up front. I get that. But when you look at Matt Shane and Nathan McKinnon and Gabriel Landeskog and Carl Soderberg, like there is just. There are too many Miko Rantanen when he's healthy and when he gets off the injury. There are too many skilled guys there for them to be around the bottom of the conference for as long as they were. Um, I'm I'm curious to see player deployment, specifically with Matt Deshane, specifically on the penalty kill. Mm. Who I mean, he was a really good penalty killer before Patrick Waugh got there, and then it just vanished, and he never got out there on the penalty kill anymore. So. <clears throat> Yeah, we all looked at Nathan McKinnon at the World Cup, I think. Maybe you're on the same page, Dimitri, and said, wow, this guy is ready for another step in his career. Like, you look at Nathan McKinnon and say, wow, there's the other gear. He's big. He's strong. Like, okay, Nathan McKinnon is ready for yet another big step in his career, forgetting that you know, he's the first overall pick for a good reason. Yes. Um, I, I, think that, I think that this team now all of a sudden – I know there's issues with depth. I know there's still some issues on the blue line, but they just became infinitely more interesting for me to watch. 
So I've, I've got, I'll, I'll let you know, I've got them at three. Ooh. Um, so that's how excited I am about Colorado this year. I mean, you have them over the Hurricanes, so that really says it all. I know, I got Carolina at <laughs> four, but I know, it's so embarrassing. I, I think I think McKinnon is uh, is a player that I'm going to be wanting to watch a lot of this season. It, it, it speaks to the embarrassment of riches we have as hockey fans now that we have all these sort of generational players that are coming into the league at the top of the draft, and it's been three years now, so we kind of forget about all the hype about Nathan McKinnon, but I mean, he's just insane, right? Like he just turned 21 years old and he does everything well. And you mentioned big, fast, strong, you know, shoots the puck. Well, like I, I think that he could really Deeks, be the type of guy Deeks, where everyone Deeks just remembers Deeks, where he is. Deeks big Swedish franchise hall of fame goaltenders pretty well. Like hold like that move in front for that game winner against Sweden, mm-hmm. how you get a, Lundqvist to bite and then B, make that move to get around him, to tuck it under the bar at 21. Yeah. Look out. Yeah. It's spectacular. He's, uh, he's been one of my favorite players to watch. And I think that he is going to take that next step this season. Um, so who are the other teams you mentioned up here in the, in the, uh, what have I got there? Nine. I got uh, San Jose, Washington, Dallas thing. I mentioned that afterwards I've got Pittsburgh. I got Pittsburgh and Philadelphia back to back Philadelphia. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm I, I've I've wanted for so many years to see an improved homegrown blue line from the Philadelphia Flyers. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you go back to 1967, and you know uh, when the league doubled and the league expanded, you know up until most recently, the Philadelphia Flyers, you know, never drafted and developed an elite level defenseman. They either signed their defenseman by way of free agency or they traded for them. If you think I'm wrong, I will pause right now and you can tell me how I'm wrong. Dun, 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 dun. No, Ben Wilson doesn't count. He wasn't elite. <laughs> like, they just never did it. Yeah. But now you're starting to see whether it's Ivan Provorov, um, who makes it league this year. And by the way, when you're watching the fight, watch how, how big Ivan Provorov's stick. He has a two-inch extension, and so he has this like, weird style when he skates. He's got his elbow way up in the air. It's a bizarre thing to see. Yep. Uh, but watch for it, Philadelphia uh, Flyers fans and, and Game Center observers of the Philadelphia Flyers. But now you're starting to see – you saw last year with Shane Gosses Bear from Union. You're starting to see homegrown defensemen on the Philadelphia Flyers blue line at the high level, at, the, at an upper end. We've never seen that, Dimitri. Yep. You know, we've never Travis Sanheim, Sam Moran, like we've never seen the Philadelphia Flyers draft and develop a blue line. This is another love letter to Ron Hextall, who, despite, you know, when Ed Snyder was was still with us, you know, every year is be like, you know, Morgan's the future. We got to go for it. We know we got to win, a, win every game, win every, you know, every year. We got to be contending for the Stanley Cup, you know, always fought back. And said, no, man, we're playing the long game here in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't keep playing the short game. So for that reason, I'm, I'm really interested to watch it. And I want to see Konechny. And if he, if he sticks for the entire year, that could be a real nice mid to late round find for the Philadelphia Flyers. So, yeah, give me, uh, give me some Philly at number five. Yeah, I mean, I have the Flyers at six. And, and I don't know if people are going to be surprised that we have them this high, but... The, the top end talent here is, is going to be, and, and it's, it's the fires, you know, that they just, for whatever reason, get into these interesting games where everyone's talking about them, whether it's like a six, five game or, or, you know, there, there, there's skirmishes talking, going on. It's like a Radko Gudis destroying someone. Is yes. what you're trying to say. Yes. But no, I mean, I mean, I mean, the blue line is, I'm really happy that they're going to be relying less on guys like Andrew McDonald and Nick Schultz yeah. and, and these guys and, and bringing Provorov into the mix. I mean, the thing that I, when I see Provorov in the limited viewings that I've seen of him, it looks like he's just thinking the game on another level than anyone else. It's like, oh, it's like oh. he's, he's seeing it through 
three, three, three steps ahead and he's putting himself in a position where he kind of makes it look a little effortless. Like you watch him and, and you're not blown away by anything he's doing, but that's because he's just making it look so easy because he's so far ahead of everyone else. So I think he's yep. going to be amazing there. And then, you know, we haven't mentioned, I, I think Wayne Simmons is, is quite arguably one of my favorite players to watch in the league. It's, I, I don't know how he does it. I mean, you watch him out there and it looks painful watching him skate and lumbering up and down the ice, but he's just so fun in and around the net and he's probably the the scariest person in the league i think nobody and i mean nobody tips pucks better than wayne simmons yep. in front of the net no one tips pucks better yeah like i don't know what it is about that hand-eye coordination that wayne simmons has but damn it no one gets their stick on pucks in the air better than wayne well, simmons and, and if, i don't know if this you know, I'm going to be outing myself as a massive hockey nerd here. I mean, I do host a, a podcast called the Hockey Studio Cast, so I've probably already yeah. done that to myself. But uh, it, next time you watch the Flyers, uh, for everyone out there, just especially on the power play, watch Wayne Simmons operate around the net because it's the underrated thing that he does is how he positions himself to receive, you know, these amazing passes from a guy like Claude Giroux, for example. He makes life so much easier for him because whether it's just how he's he's kind of contorting his body or where he's he always has his stick in the right place at the right time, as you mentioned, and and he's just it's really fun watching him operate around there in his office. And he's tough as nails. Like he has a little bit of what you know, it's so funny because we talk about and we just mentioned Chris Russell a while ago, and that was going to be. You know, the eyeball test versus analytics, right? Mm -hmm. That was the big debate. But when you look at someone like Wayne Simmons, doesn't he have something in there for every type of person who watches hockey? Yes. You know, the numbers are great. The subtlety is great. And then just that raw bone toughness on the wing is is old school in its approach. Like, I know it's it's not like we're turning this into the Wayne Simmons hour, but for good reason. Like, this guy has something to satisfy, satisfy the appetites of I would argue just about every single viewer of hockey. Like you can watch his game and take something away from it saying, yeah, I really like this about this guy's game, whether you're you know, hardcore with the numbers or hardcore with uh, we like big burly power forwards going up and down the wing. And if they want to throw, you know, knuckles five or 10 times a year, well, so be it. Mm-hmm. I think he's got this. There's, there's something in Wayne Simmons for everybody. Essentially is what I'm saying. Yeah, just Wayne Simmons just brings people together. I think uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's like he's like uh, the United Nations or a Benetton commercial. Yes. Uh, so I have I have the Jets eight, Sharks seven, and Flyers six. Uh, and then we're going to get yeah. into the top five. So I think the the Jets are going to be really fun to watch. Last year was, I mean, if they had to do it over again, I'm sure they would do it exactly the same way because they got their hands on on a guy like Patrick Laine. But it, it, there was like a, a really weird mismatch between how fun they were to watch and the talent that they had on that team versus how much winning they were actually doing. And I think that uh, they're kind of a, a, a trendy pick here to make a run, especially now that they sent Pavlik down and will be relying on Connor Hellebuyck to to kind of carry the load. Yeah, and we'll be interesting to see how this standoff between Truba and Shevel Dayoff works out because this isn't just, you know, player demands trade, so general manager tries to get the max value out of him. I mean, this is a really sensitive market, not unlike Edmonton, mm-hmm. where, you know, just to be blunt, you need players to want to play there. You know, you need guys that are going to want to stay. You know, Winnipeg winters can be pretty unforgiving. Um, and when you're making a choice between whether do I want to go play with the New York Rangers or, or the Winnipeg Jets, I mean, there are certain things that other markets offer above and beyond compensation from the team that Winnipeg just can't. So <clears throat> if you're Kevin Dayoff, this isn't just a hockey decision, you know, based on what's happening on the ice. This is sort of message to the marketplace that you just can't ask for a trade because you don't like how you're being used and the general manager can acquiesce. And the interesting thing about that is, too, 
know, prior to that Evander Kane deal, what did Kevin Sheveldayoff have his reputation? He was patient. And it was painful. Like, what is he doing? Putting the day off and shovel day off. Like, is he doing anything? What's going on? (laughs) He is a patient, patient general manager. I really, honestly, Dimitri, I really don't think that Kevin Shovel day off is going to get backed into a situation where right away I need to acquiesce and give this player what he wants. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, and they're big. and, And listen, and they're big and they're skilled and they're fast and they're strong. And I think, you know, people look at, you know, look where they play and it's going to be challenging for them. I think I'm with you. I think they're a better team than people give credit for. Yeah, but that, that, that's frustrating. I, I'd love to see Truba in that lineup and utilize properly because, uh, like I mentioned, they're going to be a fun team to watch. And I think they could be very good and make some noise in that central division. So I hope that, I hope something gets worked out there. Let me ask you this. Who's a better defense? Who, who would you rather have as your second pairing right side defenseman, Tyler Myers or Jacob Truba? I'll take Truba. Yes, for sure. I don't even think it's really much of a debate. No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm taking Truba all day, all night on that one. But mm-hmm. Myers, Myers is the guy behind Bufflin. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, I think, I guess there's people that are kind of worried about Bufflin in terms of uh, he might be a bit too risky for them or whatever. But I would argue that Bufflin is sort of in the Wayne Simmons mold, the type of player that really kind of does a little bit of everything for everyone out there, right? Like he has these highlight reel plays where he looks amazing and he does stuff that no one else can do out there. His numbers are amazing. He's big, tough, and physical. Like I, I don't understand how anyone can watch Dustin Bufflin and not just be infatuated with him. Well, he does put his team shorthanded. <laughs> that, that, I guess that's, that, that is true, yes. <laughs> that, might be, that, might be the one, that might be the one knock against him. Yes. Let's, let's, get to our, let's get to our top couple of picks here. Okay, so... Uh, I had three, four, five. I I kind of ranked them together, and that's they're sort of the class of the East. I had the Lightning, the Penguins, yep. and the Capitals, and I think that I can't really quibble if you want to put one or above or the other. I think it's kind of subjective amongst those three teams. Yeah, I had the the Capitals a little bit lower, and that just might be because I, I've you know I've always looked for maybe I just I take them for granted. Mm-hmm. And but the one thing that I'm really curious to see this year is uh, curious to see slash expecting. I'm expecting Andre Burakovsky to pop this year. Yep. Like we all know, we can just dance off and Ovechkin go right down Baxter. Like you know what, you know Carlson, you know what's there. Um, to to me, one of the big questions is: Are we going to see that Andre Burakovsky that we think has always been there? Is this going to be the that Andre Burakovsky takes that next big step? Because other than that, I mean, we already know this is an excellent team. It's a team that can win the Stanley Cup. Uh, in no way is the window you know closed. Uh, on the Washington Capitals, this is still an excellent team with an excellent coach and uh, the best left winger in the game. And you know that are dynamic and they're smart and they're skilled and they're deep. And the only question I have is how good can this Burakovsky kid be? Yeah, and I mean it's insane to say because Ovechkin is such an amazing talent. But I I think that if <laughs> I had to pick one player that I love watching the most on this team, it's probably Evgeny Kuznetsov. Yeah. No, I know he's uh, he's fun. There's uh, there's no t- to me. I've, I've, I mean, I'm a big Backstrom guy. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I think there's a Selkie Trophy in there somewhere down the road. I, I really do. Um, but yeah, I'll uh, I'll uh, I, I I got Washington eight, and I probably have them too low. But uh, that just might be because listen, I know what I'm getting with Washington, and it's excellent. It's great hockey. It's but, fun, and it's a lot of fun. If you're picking one guy right now in the league to kind of quarterback your power play from that half wall area, is it is it Backstrom? Is it Giroux? Or is it is it still Joe Thornton? I'll still take Joe Thornton. He's still the premier passer in yeah. the NHL. Yeah, uh, it's, it's the possession. I'll take. I'll still take the the bearded possession monster. Yes, I'll still take Joe Thornton. Yeah, 
Um, okay, and then, you know, the Penguins, hopefully Crosby's okay. Uh, we, we know enough about hand injuries now that I really hope that they don't try to rush him back in there, and I hope everything works out because it, it is such a shame. I feel like the narrative had shifted a little bit here now that they won the Stanley Cup, and, and he was so good in the World Cup, and, and obviously won the MVP there, and everything was kind of clicking at the right time, and, and now this happens, which is kind of a bummer for all hockey fans. Yeah, um... I wonder about the blue line. Yeah. I know it's the obvious, the obvious thing to say, but that's that to me. I mean, what's not to love about Chris Letang? And then after that, you're going to get a lot of question marks. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I still do wonder about the blue line, but yeah, I'm with you. Penguinos are still a fun team to watch, and yeah, knock on wood, Crosby stays healthy. So where are we at with Derek Pouliot? Is is he ever going to do what is we it, thought? Is it, is it is it just me, or does it look like he's lost like about eighty pounds? Yeah, he does look a little like a, he looks. Like, he is like. I know that Jim Rutherford put a lot on. They were really disappointed that last year didn't really happen for him. And he always kind of, like Derek Pouliot, even going back to junior, always had that, like, bigger kind of chubby head <laughs> face. You know? mm-hmm. He's like, And I look at him this year, I'm like, holy smokes, how much weight did you lose um, in the offseason? I, I, we've all been waiting for that first-round pick to show up and, and, and be an impact guy and would go a lot to, to alleviate some of the problems I think the Penguins may have uh, on their back end. So I know it doesn't make good for a podcast when one person on it says the answer is I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but when it comes to Derek Fouliot, honestly, Dimitri, I'm not going to bullshit you. I've known you too long and yeah. your listeners as well. I don't know. Yeah. That's that's my answer. Yeah, uh, you can make a big difference for them. Um, okay, number one team I had was the Dallas Stars, and I know you mentioned them. I think you had them at six or so. Um, yep. What 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 made you drop them down the list? You just like the other teams that much more? They uh, they lost two big pieces off that blue line in Goligoski and Demers. Yep. And I I I going with kids, you know, Alexiak and Nemeth and <clears throat> uh, Matthias Janmark. You know, he may be gone for the whole season. Yeah. Like that's that's how bad that injury is. Um. What's not to love about Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn, and for that reason, and John Klingberg. So I'll always tune into Dallas Stars games, uh, especially if they're going to play that up and down the ice, and let's just trade goals, and let's see what happens, and last shot wins. Um, but I've got Nashville at number one. Mm. Yeah, I got, I got, I got the Preds in at number one, man. I am all. I've pushed my chips to the middle of the table this year for Nashville. Yes. Yeah. Oh, just one final thing on the stars. I don't know if I'm necessarily yeah. just like chasing the high from last year or, or not. And I might be disappointed, <laughs> but I mean, I, I honestly can't remember anything in recent memory that was, was just like that. Like it was like every single night it felt like people were just, I like, know it's fun. The stars are on. You should probably, uh, you should probably put Washington, them on immediately. Washington was like that for a long time too. And maybe they still are. Yeah. Like I, I know I get like the dream final would have been like a high flying Washington Dallas final, yep. which we still might get this year. Mm-hmm. I, I doubt it, but. I, I I know what you mean. I I still man, I just still can't figure out the Lori Karpakoski signing. Yeah, that uh, yeah, strange. Um, okay, so predator, predator's time. Um, I had them at number two. Uh, you had them at number one. Yeah, man. Um, I what's not to like? The the thing that's amazing to me is sort of just the organizational facelift they've undergone, right? Like for all those years under Barry Trotz, even when they were winning, it was oh well, they have no forward talent up front. It's it's you know they're they're boring to watch, and and now. They're just, it's an embarrassment of riches with all the guys they have, particularly young guys. And I mean, you look at this top line with Kevin Fiala, Ryan Johansson, and, and, and Philip Forsberg, and that might be the number one line in terms of just like how entertaining they're going to be to watch. 
Yep. And let me play a little, quick little game uh, for you. Let's focus in on the forwards specifically. Uh-huh. All right. Philip Forsberg, James Neal, Ryan Johansson, uh, Kelly Yarncroke, uh, Mike Fisher, uh-huh. Mike Ribeiro. What do they all have in common? They play for the Predators? All trades. <laughs> you know, we, we, no, we, we talk so much about you need to draft and develop, and that's the kind of league it is, and that's the way you build your team. Isn't David Poyle saying, well, hang on a second, guys. There's not just one way to build a team here. Yep. There are other ways to build a team, and you can do it through trades. You have to get lucky, but you have to be shrewd. You have to be smart. You have to know what you have. Like to me, the story of the Nashville Predators is an interesting one up front because these are all guys that have been, you know, these guys are all trades. Yep. These are all players that came from somewhere else. And they've done such a good job of, of drafting as well to, to complement that because whether it's guys like Mika Solomaki or, or Victor Arvidsson or <laughs> both like, underrated, I'm, both I'm a, underrated, I'm huge. A huge, huge Vlad Kamenev fan. I think he's going to be on the way soon because he's probably too good for the AHL already at this point. I mean, you, some yep. of these guys, you look at them and it's just. Nashville just they have so much talent up front and and the blue line is still a, a strong suit for them I, I I'm just the one thing I'm worried about with them is I mean other than Pecorine is it just seems like so such an obvious thing everyone is so all in on them that generally I, I just, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a sports fan I feel like something bad is going to happen but maybe maybe just kind of overthinking it I think just kind of enjoy it because they're they're going to be amazing and one of the things that I like about it, too, is the coach isn't afraid to open it up. I know we talk a lot about Lindy Ruff in Dallas, but, I mean, Peter Laviolette, you know, he's he's fine. You know, he's fine playing pond hockey. Like, yeah. all right, boys, let's get at it. Let's just open it up, and uh, we have a really good team here. Let's, uh, let, let's see who wins. I know you wonder if a team that's been so used to being the underdog and the counterpuncher, you know, once they become a team of expectation, like, significant – Dude, I've got them winning the Stanley Cup this year. Yeah. Um, once you become that squad, all of a sudden, it's like when a when a backup goalie becomes a, a starter, your mindset changes. Now, all of a sudden, there's expectation, and you're responsible. You wonder if that changes a team. But I think that you know these most of these guys have been there, you know, long enough that they're probably ready to to change to switch that mindset. And if they if they haven't already, going back to the last couple of seasons, yeah, we're on the same page. All in on the Predators. Uh, Go Preds. There you have it, man. One to thirty. Um, that was a lot of fun. I didn't, think, I didn't think we'd do it. Still with a couple of minutes, so I can go and pick up my kids from school. That's yes. great. Um, <laughs> plug the um, plug the new stuff you're doing over at Sportsnet. Oh, all kinds of stuff, uh, of shiz. So I'm doing the uh, the top 31 draft rankings now. Yes, Las Vegas will be in the draft this year. Um, you can those rankings will update monthly and accompanying podcast. Uh, the prospect prospect project. I should have thought of a better name. The prospect project uh, 2017 uh, accompanies that. Uh, MVSW continues, and as far as television goes, I'll be on doing our new 6:30 national show on Monday, Thursday, and Friday, and doing uh, inserts into all of our regional games for that evening, plus assorted podcasts and writing at Sportsnet.ca. Beautiful. Well, Jeff, and then, and then they hand me a broom and I sweep up on my way out. <laughs> uh, listen, man, that was a lot of fun. Thanks for taking the time, and I'm, I'm sure we'll have you back on soon. I hope that I did last year's podcast with Travis Justice because honestly, I, I say that honestly, that was one of my one of my more favorite podcasts you guys did last year. You and Travis Yo, so I thought that was I thought that was a great one. I okay. loved it. I, th- I mean, I think you did great. So um, I think that's all that matters. I just need the Travis seal of approval on that one. I have to DM him. <laughs> all right, man. We'll chat soon. Thanks a lot, Dimitri. Thanks for having me on.
Before we get out of here, I just wanted to give some quick love to our friends over at FreshBooks. For those of you who don't know, FreshBooks is an online accounting service designed to save time and help avoid all the stresses that come with running a small business. If you're like me and you have to spend a solid 90 minutes of time talking to Jeff Merrick on the phone, then you're probably pretty up against it time-wise to get a bunch of the other housekeeping things you know you need to eventually get done over with. So FreshBooks allows you to create easy, professional-looking invoices in a matter of moments. It also helps you keep track of all your expenses, who owes you what, and how much time you went you spent on various projects. The reason why all this is relevant is because FreshBooks is now offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to all of my listeners. To claim it, all you have to do is go to freshbooks.com slash pdocast and enter hockey pdocast in the how you heard about a section. That's freshbooks.com slash pdocast. The Hockey PDOcast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDOcast. Thank you.